Hi, I'm Zhang Mei, and this is the China Travel Podcast by Wild China. Each episode, we visit a different destination in China with a special guest. And when we say a destination, it can be as big as a province, or sometimes as small as a village, or sometimes it may be a field of study, or simply a way of life. So today we have a slight role swap going on. Instead of hosting the episode as usual, May is changing seats to be the guest. The host this time is me, Kendra Tombolato. I'm the marketing manager at Wild China. I am normally behind the scenes producing these podcasts, but today I'm doing well both. So if you've listened to any of our past episodes, you already know a bit about May Zhang. You most likely know her to be the founder of Wild China, author of Travels Through Dali with a Leg of Ham, and a mother of three. What you may not know, if you are based outside China, is that she is also a Chinese social media influencer with over 200,000 followers. China's social media landscape is a bit of an enigma to the rest of the world. There are a ton of platforms, some of which can be drawn a relative equivalent with more familiar global platforms, and some which are so unique and multi-use that it's difficult to find a comparable equivalent. Similar to most social media platforms, evolution and change is constant. Trends, algorithms, rules are always changing. When I first started in this role as marketing manager, one of the first things I did was to seek out more information about Chinese social media. Of course, I had a basic understanding of the major platforms from spending over four years living in China, but how to manage and grow a business account on any single one was a whole new challenge. And what I found in this search was that there were a few English language books published on Chinese social media. But the problem there was that even a year after publication, the landscape had changed so much that they seemed obsolete. Same with blogs and forum feeds; nothing seemed that helpful. So, on discussing this, May and I thought it might be fun to do a podcast of our own to supply some of that missing information and give an update on what's happening with Chinese social media in the world right now. So, here we go. May, I think maybe the best place for us to start is with an overview of the most prominent Chinese social media platforms today, and if applicable, their global equivalents. Well, thank you for having me. First of all, Kendra, it's lovely to、uh, be a guest on this yeah, podcast. Yeah. And, but、uh, what you asked was a very, very interesting thing that I think around the world there are always equivalents of understanding China, but China and the rest of the world seem to be operating on parallel tracks because of the language divide. These two tracks are going in similar direction, but they don't touch each other. So whatever you see in English world, there's always something equivalent in Chinese, right? Like if you think about Twitter in China, it's Weibo. That one is still a very popular platform for written typed short messages and information. And people like one of our guests,、um, Kaifu Li, has 50 million followers on Weibo.、It's、just like the scale is is on a completely different <laughs> dimension, right? But、uh, Weibo, despite its continuing influence, is not the default social media for younger Chinese to turn to these days anymore. And there's also Douyin and、uh, Xiaohongshu. These two are gaining popularity, and there are a, a few others that look like Douyin and Xiaohongshu, but they're not as well known. So I'm picking two very well known ones, and what their equivalent is Douyin. Is TikTok in China? Both of them are owned by ByteDance mostly, right? But they separate the database of users, 
and platforms. So when you load anything on TikTok, it is not viewed or shared on Douyin. Douyin is purely in Chinese language only, and the database resides in China. So those two are separate. But Douyin is very, very popular with short videos and also live streaming. Apparently, the online transaction for live streaming platform on Douyin is very effective. So it's one of the most popular live streaming e-commerce platforms in China. And then the other one, Xiaohongshu, which I just mentioned, is called Little Red Book in Chinese. It's in some ways equivalent to Instagram, I would say, but they are pushing the platform itself. Little Red Book is pushing very hard to monetize the traffic, the eyeballs on these short videos. So they are pushing to have online stores or live streaming purchases in the direction of TikTok. Right now, they're not quite as successful, but both of them have tens of millions of active visitors each day. It's quite incredible. Okay, so we've got Weibo, Douyin, and Little Red Book are sort of the main Chinese social media platforms right now. Is that a correct summary? I would say so. Actually, let me add one more. So Douyin and Little Red Book are both short video based, right? And there's also a WeChat channel. That is owned by WeChat, which is the omnipresent of communication tool in China. It wraps WhatsApp with Facebook and all of that into one, and e-commerce and Uber, all of these mega functions into this one WeChat function. And they also have their short video channel. It's called WeChat channel that is competing in this category as well. Not quite as successful as Douyin or Little Red Book yet. But it's there. Cool. So lots of different video platforms in China. Okay. So on the topic of Chinese social media, obviously, when I think of Chinese social media, a lot of the items that come into my head are the ones that have made their way over to English language social media too, like the internet phenomenon Li Zixi, who has in essence glorified countryside life in China, or more generally the videos of street food vendors. I'm sure you've seen these, like they're flamboyantly flinging noodles or throwing stir fry into the air over a fiery walk. Or even just being in China and seeing smartphones literally everywhere, from the hands of obviously Shanghai businessmen and women, you know, hurrying through the city, to you've got a monk walking through a temple complex and you see an, an iPhone or a Huawei slip out the sleeve of his robe. I feel like social media is everywhere in China. So my question here is, how has Chinese social media evolved, both in the sense of its usage and in its influence on society? I'll give you one example, then you'll understand the scale. When you sign up for Apple ID in China, you don't need to have a email account. You just need a cell phone number. So that is email and website are out in China. Like if you send someone an email, it's very likely it doesn't get answered or checked for the next month. And if you have a website, they can't find it. They're like, huh? What are you talking about, right? And then if you charge somebody and say like, I sell you something or I borrow some money in China, it's like instant repayment or online payment. All of these are transacted on the phone. Everything's instant. I was back in China in November last year, 2021, for six weeks. I did not draw one renminbi of cash from the bank. Everything was on my phone. 
And I was not just in Beijing, Shanghai. I went hiking in these areas where I would have to drive four hours from the nearest train station into remote mountains in the Eastern Himalayas, where 20 years ago, they didn't have electricity. I was transacting with my cell phone, buying a bottle of water or buying a bowl of noodle soup in these tiny little villages where the chickens would be running around, dogs would be running around. <laughs> so it's everywhere. Right? You can't get through China. Nowadays with COVID, all the health codes scanning without a phone, I'm sorry, you stay home, self-quarantine <laughs> because you can't move anywhere. Yeah, so literally everywhere from the cities to the countryside. Did you see any sort of like really big changes in the kind of demographics that were using social media from maybe the last time you were in China till the most recent one? Or is it just always been, everyone's been on social media? That's the amazing thing. If I tell you a 70 year old lady is on TikTok in these remote villages in the Tibetan mountains, you're gonna like go, what? It's true, like TikTok is everywhere and starting from probably um, two, three year old would be playing TikTok on their parents' phone to a 70, 80 year old in the countryside, they would be having their afternoon siesta moment in the shade by their house or in the field, looking at TikTok all the time. That's on the content consumer side. There probably is a difference on the content creator side. I think the creators, you would need to be a little more tech savvy, but it doesn't stop the younger, the grandchildren going to their grandparents and have an entire channel dedicated to grandma's cooking or <laughs> grandpa's fashion. One plus thing I saw of social media is it brought out the amazing amount of creativity that I've never seen in China. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you think it's also spurred this kind of movement and interest in the countryside and the rural areas of China? Do you think social media was one of the movers in that? I know you've talked a lot about this renewed interest in getting out there and traveling and hiking and not even just hiking, but going to these sort of like countryside areas or rural villages. Do you think that social media contributed to that new interest in Chinese society? I would say yes and no. The reason being, I think the desire to be in nature, to connect with a, a simpler way of life, like the Li Ziqi example you were talking about, I had a little bit you know, a tiny moment of Lisa Chi experiences. I created a little post of me plucking arugula from my garden and making a bowl of noodle soup. And that one went very, very popular on my content channel. And then that to me, I think it reflects the pressure and the lack of access to a simpler way of life in current society in China. Right. Most people living in the cities, there are all these famous phrases of 996, 9 a.m. to 9 p.m., six days a week. That's the kind of lifestyle a lot of young people are living in. And they long to have a less pressure cooker kind of lifestyle. And I think that is the main impetus for this kind of desire to get out to nature. And Social media, I think, is a very efficient enabler, if you know what I mean. They just enabled the expression and also enabled people to see, visualize their dream, visualize their 
desired simpler way of life on their little screen. And that's why this kind of content is very, very popular. Cool. So you mentioned your platform there. So I think maybe we can pivot to that. Your main platform at the moment is Little Red Book, Xiaohongshu, which you mentioned earlier. And I would love if you could talk a bit about your path on this platform. So when you started to sort of pursue growth on it, what worked, what didn't, the timeline that you've sort of gone through to get to where you are now. And yeah, it came very much as a accident, I think, because before I started, I was just like, you look at this social media as a different universe. And I don't know how to talk that language. I was extremely uncomfortable being on the screen, not to mention holding up the phone to film myself talking into it. Oh my God. Right. And then to open up now, I open up my channel and see all my faces staring back at myself. I'm just like, oh my God, this is extremely embarrassing. Why would you ever want to do that kind of stuff? Right. That, that feeling of that's not me. I don't know the language. I can never do it. I think it's commonly shared among a lot of people. And the reason for me to be willing to give it a try and just put your face aside, forget it, just try it, is because everything we just discussed, social media is a completely new language, but it is taking the media world by storm. I was much more comfortable talking to, say, the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal, the Continental Traveler magazine. It's much more respectable, traditional media. There's a certain way, a very proper way to get your message across. But social media is not. It's everything but that. And people are flocking to it because they're looking for a much more, much more personal connection. And they're looking for a dialogue with you. And they're looking for inspiration. They want to be inspired. And they're also looking to you for access to a life or the world or a lifestyle or a way of thinking that they don't have access to. I knew none of this when I first started. But there was one piece of video that went on a very, very small scale viral for me. And I was surprised wanted to know why. And that's what started me to look for more. And this piece, I think it was a 40 seconds video of me walking in the streets of Shanghai because the previous night I had dinner with some of my friends and they were very well off, very wealthy billionaires in China. And after dinner, they all went home by subway. And the next morning, I met someone for coffee. Once again, this gentleman ran an entire grocery chain, like Trader Joe's equivalent or something, all over China. He was the boss. And I said, how did you come? He said, oh, by bus. All those answers took me by surprise in the sense that it's one little detail. I saw the huge change China went through in the past two years. People are much more comfortable in their own skin. If I am wealthy, I don't need to flaunt the wealth anymore. If I'm wealthy, I'm okay to take the public transportation now. And so that surprised me. And the 40 seconds was basically sharing what I just shared with you. 
I said how surprised I was, and I thought it was a very positive trend that China was going through. And so many people commented on it. People are like, "Oh my God, this is the new China." And I think after that, I started thinking. I, I said, "Ah, what is of value here? What, what surprised people?" The world that I was seeing surprised people. People who thought they needed a wealthy car probably don't know very, very, very wealthy people who actually take public transport. So it's the vantage point where I was, you know, luckily perched to have that was of value to people. So I started sharing from what I see in everyday life, and in particular, I was interested in sharing stories about. Not leading a wasteful life, and spending more time in nature, spending more time with family and friends, sort of the lifestyle that I personally believe in, but I also believe it benefited people. It gave people a pressure relief from their nine nine six lifestyle. So I started sharing more and more posts along that line, and it just took off. And that was six months ago, and it just. Boom went off in a very surprising way. It took the first month was difficult because it took everyday posting to get to about eight thousand followers or something, not even ten thousand. So it took quite a bit work, I would say. And then it took the following two three months up to April. So that would be what, like four months time, to get to a hundred thousand. Then it took two months to get to two hundred thousand, and I'm hoping it'll continue to speed up. But you never know. On this topic, I'm interested on what type of content is trending on Little Red Book at the moment. I assume it changes. So on Instagram, it's shifted obviously to video content. A lot of this is featuring things like TikTok dances, or you know they've got the same song on every video. So a lot of it is trending around using the same audio. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's like a comedy skit to a set audio, like a voice clip from some other video that people have repurposed into making comedy skits around. So it's a lot of like fun, happy that kind of stuff. A lot of it. This isn't you know all encompassing. So I'm wondering. Is trending on Little Red Book similar? Is it video and audio focused, like Instagram, or is it more about using trending hashtags or creating content around certain topics that are trending? How does it work? So on Little Red Book, first of all, I personally, personal opinion, is video tends to have a lot more traction than photographs. The channel allows you to post both. But video always has priority. I don't know whether it's the algorithm gives it priority or people just enjoy looking at videos more. I I don't know the answer to that. But my personal postings, if it's photographs, I don't get as much bounce as video. That's number one. Two is I am a horrible video editor. That <laughs> if I put Music in it. It's sometimes it's too loud in certain area, too too low in certain areas. So I don't know whether music helps or not. And the length of the video, if you're just starting out, it's always better to keep it within one minute so that people get a flavor of what you're talking about. But later on, when you actually have some content to share, 
take the length, take the time that you need to, to share the content. But one thing that is crucial, and I found Little Red Book actually rewards you, is in the back end, they have a creator center. And the creator center always has sort of notes, inspirations called 笔记灵感. Sadly, I think their back end is all in Chinese. I don't think this is in English. And it's called 笔记灵感, so all the notes, inspirations. And they give you all the top trending content. Initially, I thought, I'm not going to follow those trends because I'm too cool for that. <laughs> wrong. Totally wrong. You should just follow it. <laughs> if you have something useful to say, following the same trend, but not following the same words. You see what I mean? For example, two weeks ago, one thing that was trending was uh, the college entrance exam. The reason it's trending is because 30 million Chinese kids were taking college entrance exams. So of course it's trending. And if you want to talk about something senior homes at that time, you probably will not get enough eyeball, right? And so there is a reason it's trending. So I take these trending topics seriously and I look at it and I think, do I have something to say there? If I do, you'd have to be very quick because these trends change in two, three days. And so boom, you create a piece in the time when it's trending, then you do get extra algorithm push. It's like you catch a tailwind. So how do you categorize your video, your post as part of this topic? Do you use a hashtag or is there like a drop down list where you pick which trending category you're talking about? How does it work? So on this trending topic, once they tell you, for example, one of the trending topic I see here, it says 总要拍下校园吧, means I still want to show my campus. And then there is a button that says go post. If I see that is there, then I can just edit my film separately and I come and post through this channel. That's one way for the algorithm to pick you up. Or there is a hashtag called 笔记灵感. I do both. Do the trending topics change a lot as well then? Is it like, oh, this topic's trending. I need to do a video like today before, you know, this isn't one of the trending topics anymore. Is it really quick like that? Or is it something will maybe trend for quite a while, but sort of stay on the top of the tailwind you need to post quickly? I think you have about the window of about a week. Okay. Yeah. So talking about the audience then, like the people that are actually looking at all of these posts. So for example, on Instagram, the audience is age 34 and under mainly, like a large majority of Instagram's users are 34 and under. And it's pretty close to a 50-50 split of male and female users on Instagram. So is this similar to Little Red Book's audience, so the people that use it? That's interesting. No, I think Little Red Book skews towards women. Ah, okay. Yeah, because Little Red Book is considered different from Douyin. Little Red Book is what we call a 种草平台. 种草 meaning planting grass platform. Now, what does planting grass mean? Basically, it's planting the seeds in you for it to germinate later on. It inserts the idea or the desire or the wish for something early. It's basically an early marketing impression. 
right? Let's say this necklace from Tiffany, and I want to show it. I want to talk about it, and then fine. The audience doesn't quite have money yet, but they'll have one impression, and then another person will talk about it again. They will have second impression, so they can have five impressions. In marketing, they always talk about five impressions leads to a purchasing behavior, right? And Little Red Book is extremely efficient in planting an impression of a brand. There's also a function they save that video. So when they actually are ready to execute, they'll come back to it. The collections are in their folder. So it's mostly the daydreamers. It's very good for daydreaming and lots of women. If I look at mine, uh, you will see, you, yeah. you see all the pink. Yes. That's all women. <laughs> all you can see is pink because this is very funny. My gender split is 92% women, 8% male. And it's all women making all these purchasing decisions, families who make travel decisions, all women, right? So it's excellent profile for me. And the age group is interesting because Xiaohongshu actually cuts across quite an age. My heaviest age groups are about 30%, 25 to 34 and another 28 35 to 44. Those are my biggest, about 60% are between 25 and 44. And then I have 18% above 44. So mine are a little older. Okay, so the city allocation are Beijing, 10%, Shanghai, 8%, then Shenzhen, Guangzhou, and Chengdu. I mean, I, I see in the comments, there are lots from all over the country, all over the world, actually, but these are the heaviest concentration. I don't know how representative it is across Little Red Book's uh, profile, user profile. I think mine is more skewed towards like women in cities. Okay, um, cool. Yeah. Okay, so... My next question is actually inspired from one of our recent meetings. So I do obviously our English marketing and we have a whole Chinese marketing team and we were talking about SEO, so search engine optimization. And I was really interested to hear about how Chinese netizens, how they search for information. Because obviously when I look for something, I just hop on Google, right? And I see what comes up and I look at the first page of results and that's how we prioritize our website, right? It's like we want to be on the first page and that's how we're going to get the most views. But I would love to hear from you about how Chinese netizens, how they search for information. Okay. Chinese can't Google. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> and Chinese Baidu for lack of choice. But no one trusts Baidu. I'm sorry, Li Yanhong. This is Li Yanhong's the founder of Baidu. But this is the case. Majority of the population say we have to use this tool, but it's not the greatest tool. So I also heard this from our colleague, right, who wanted to buy a snowboard for her daughter. And she said, I go to Little Red Book to search. And if anyone's looking to book, say the Incaterra Hotel in Peru, I guarantee you the first post they're going to find is my video on Incaterra because they don't trust Baidu for the search results. It's all paid or the page ranking is the content may not be relevant, but Little Red Book is all user generated. I can't make a video about Incaterra without me being there. 
And so the ones that are most popular, the videos are actually people take the phone and walk around the room. I'll show you, look, you know, if the bath tub is moldy in the corners, they are going to zoom in and show visually. But of course, if the glass of wine, the latte by the ocean is so incredibly beautiful, they will show it too. So the both the good and bad get exaggerated visually, but closer to truth than search engines. And so social media in China is becoming the default search engine. And so I think the SEO that we are doing for our English content is still a must. But like we mentioned at the very beginning, majority of Chinese businesses have sort of trimmed their team working on Chinese website to the bare, bare minimum. I mean, they basically don't work on Chinese website. We don't, right? And all transactions are on mobile. So you work on your mini program, which is a store function within WeChat. We use that as our official flagship store. And then all the marketing is done a little red book. So all of that from marketing to purchase to customer service communication, completely it's on the phone, which means your search engine or you get higher visibility and all of that. It's got to happen on the phone as well, not computer website SEO sort of thing. It's a hashtag, it's valuable content, and you get voted by other eyeballs ahead of others. Social media is no longer, you know, my teenage daughter thing. It's mainstream business must. I love that. It's super interesting because for me, like when I try to search for something on Instagram, it's actually very hard to find like what you're looking for. Instagram is much more about like stuff getting pushed to you, right? Like, oh, we think you'll like this content. You're like, oh, I do like that content. Um, or we think you'll like this t-shirt. Oh, I do like that t-shirt. But like trying to find something specific I find really difficult. So I found it really interesting that um, instead of using Baidu, which in case anyone doesn't know, is like the sort of Chinese search engine, people go to mainly Little Red Book, it sounds like, but also to WeChat to look for answers to what they have a question about or to look for certain things they want to buy. It's very different <laughs> than, than other places. Because these ones, the ranking of the content are not purchased. They're not Google ads based. Yep or Baidu ads-based, it's user voted, right? So if your video of Inkatera Hotel, I keep using that as an example because it's so far away and you don't know whose information you should trust. In travel, this is particularly true. Should you go to this place on Santorini for sunset? There are all these, you know, tourism authority videos of how beautiful the sunset is some user is going to turn the phone around and show you the crowd and say, please don't come here during peak summertime for sunset. It's ridiculous. Which one's more convincing, right? So there's a higher trust level and because of the voting system of user eyeball and also the platform itself knows that. So they worked very hard in making their search function really relevant it's much more trusted nowadays. Wow, that's really yeah. interesting. So I think this is a question that a lot of people are probably thinking as they listen to this. A lot of our non-China based listeners 
how accessible is Chinese social media to an international audience? So an audience that is based outside of China, whether they want to be content creators or whether they just want to be an audience, how easy is it for people to log into these platforms and sort of get integrated with these social media worlds in China? Very easy. It's probably the easiest. Like we mentioned earlier, the reason I'm not on Douyin, I'm actually on English TikTok, but I want to be on Chinese Douyin, which is the Chinese TikTok equivalent. I can't because it's not available in the U.S. app store. So those two are completely separate. Wow. So it's impossible, basically. So Douyin is impossible if you're outside China. For me now, impossible. But Little Red Book is one app, regardless of where you are located, as a content creator or as a content consumer. It's the same platform you go on. They do have fairly rigorous review system. And so some of my posts, particularly if I'm posting about a book and in English, then I post it, there will be a time lag. You know, someone will actually take a look before it goes live. So that they do check. And another thing that they don't want you to do is they don't want you to direct people to sign on to my event on my website or private message me. I'll sell you this pottery piece or something. They don't encourage this private transaction. They want you to have all the pottery cups in their mini stores that people can buy, except their mini store functions are not very user-friendly. So it's a catch-22 position, hard to monetize. But that aside, back to your question, is the content creator and users around the world can easily navigate in Little Red Book. And that contributed to their, I believe they have 200 million um, monthly active users. But it is mainly in Chinese, right? So it would sort of require a basic understanding of Chinese to enjoy, I guess, your experience on Little Red Book? I would say yes. Yeah. There are a few pieces of videos and also occasional content creators. Like there was one I saw the other day, a gentleman from France, probably living in Beijing or something. He's a fashion person. So he shows you how to dress a suit properly and how to iron it properly, how to take care of your ties and your clothing, your shoes. And it's like a very gentleman's lifestyle channel, which is entertaining. He speaks maybe like a few words in Chinese, but the rest of the content is in English. The posting and everything he says in English has to be subtitled in Chinese. But the biggest barrier to entry, I think, for any non-Chinese speakers is the back end, the posting and all the comments and all of those are in Chinese. So it's challenging. And then for Weibo, is that also quite accessible to people outside of China? Yeah. 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 Weibo is also global. Yeah. A lot of people are probably migrating out of Weibo. Like I haven't been on Weibo for years and I don't feel like I'm missing anything in my life, but. <laughs> okay. Fair. So then I think, again, sort of what I'm imagining people will be thinking, if there's a brand that's interested in starting a social media profile in China and marketing to a Chinese audience, what platform do you think would be the best for them to focus on? And, and how difficult do you think that is to navigate as a foreign business looking to market to Chinese consumers? 
Mm. I guess the other question is, are there a lot of business accounts on these platforms, like on Little Red Book, or is it mainly like personal accounts? I would say people on these social media accounts tend to gravitate towards individual influencers because of what we mentioned earlier. They come here, yes, for inspiration, information, and personal connection, actually, strangely enough, just because of the strange society we are living in, you are spending so much more time with your phone. And in that case, they're looking for ways to connect with a human being, even if it's on the phone. And so for businesses that always says like, sorry, it's 6pm now, I'm not going to talk to you, I'll talk to you tomorrow. It turns people off in some ways. And also, when they connect with this brand, they don't feel like they are being inspired as a holistic person. And people go on social media to look, they follow your accounts. Honestly, they aspire to have a slice of what you have. Let's say Li Ziqi, everyone aspires to have that peace and tranquility and skills in living in the countryside. It's that inspiration, but that inspiration is best conveyed as an individual person. It's a person-to-person connection I find is most powerful, much more powerful than brands. And in fact, a lot of brands' most successful campaigns, like the Mandarin Oriental's I'm a Fan, is about individual representation of the brand. And so why does Rolex watches always have uh, Roger Federer wear their watch doing those, you know, Wimbledon or whatever? It's the personalization. And I think that is even much more exaggerated in social media, the personal manifestation or representation of what the brand stands for. So I would say if you are one of these big luxury brands powerhouse, Go find your 10, 20, 30 influencers in China and have them represent you or talk about you, but choose the ones who represent your value, whose values are aligned with your brand. Because Li Ziqi is very popular, but it's completely the other way of Cartier or Tiffany. Then that's a misalignment of brand image, brand value. So find that and have individuals represent you, I think is most direct and powerful, but it does have value to have a official flagship shop that people can buy from you or whatever. I would say that's a consideration for people who have a much larger presence in China because it takes a lot of work to set up the online transaction. You have to have team monitoring the interaction and making sure the transactions take place, the discounts and all of those. It's a whole business system set up that large businesses may want to entertain that idea. But for, let's say, boutique hotels of the world with 12 rooms in Africa, it's, it's too much work. You don't want to do that. Yeah, that makes sense. I think it probably also ties back into the trust thing that you were talking about. A lot of the users on Little Red Book have this like trust in the influencers that they follow or that they're listening to. So if someone endorses a brand 
you know, they're choosing to endorse it, whether or not they're getting paid for it. And that sort of trust element falls in there as well. So, um, okay. So I feel like we can't end without talking about WeChat. But I also feel like, as you mentioned earlier, WeChat can't really be classified as social media because it's so much more. WeChat is like, it is, it's like everything in China. You know, you pay your bills on WeChat, you transfer money to a friend on WeChat. And now with COVID, there's so many other things that have to happen on WeChat. So I was hoping maybe we could talk a little bit about the various functions of WeChat in China, both social media related and maybe otherwise. Oh my God, that's just too big. I think WeChat is China's mega app that you just can't step into the country without downloading it, right? Started off as a combination of Facebook and WhatsApp. It replaced WhatsApp's text messaging. And in fact, it's much easier to create groups or share contacts and all of that in WeChat. The communication tool, I would say probably has the largest, largest user base among all the WeChat um, functions. Out of that, there was a, a function called Moments. It's for people to show this moment. I'm just having this beautiful, tasty croissant. As <laughs> I take a picture of the croissant and show you, regardless whether you want to see or not. It's a one-way updating people with my life. And a lot of people got tired of it. They're like, why do I care about your croissant? And so some people started to use that as a marketing channel. And also think about adding value. Like if I go to a beautiful hotel, I will take images of it and basically write the story of what I wanted to say about this hotel and put it on WeChat moments. I don't personally do a lot of that. The difference between that and Instagram is those things you publish in moments are only pushed to people in your circle. You're connected, you're friends with each other. And I think there's a 5,000 maximum number of friends that you can have. So it's not a social media sort of marketing channel type of thing. It's just too small, too closed. Those are the basic functions out of that there came a whole portfolio of life functions, right? The whole entire banking side is a huge, huge, started with giving people red envelopes a decade ago, I think already. And from that, people put money, they transact money. It's basically Venmo plus Citibank plus Charles Schwab, all in one, because you can do your investment, you can buy sell stocks, you can buy mutual funds, all of that, and have your pennies saved into your checking account. All of that banking side is a huge aspect that probably non-Chinese citizens don't use a lot of, but Chinese do. And then the life functions from hailing a cab, booking an airplane ticket, uh, buying a train ticket, scanning a bike in the street, ordering a one-time delivery for your laundry or your lunch. All of that involves you using a third-party service. Completely are transactionable on WeChat. Then they started this whole aspect of channels, of so video sharing that we talked about. Of course, we can't exit without talking about the mini programs that is aimed to kill all the websites, all the online, the e-commerce. People are building their own flagship stores, like we mentioned, whether you are selling apples from your grandparents' orchard or you are selling, you know, like Wild China's 30,000 I mean, be tour packages. You could do that and you could do both in WeChat. 
mini programs. So it's definitely something you can't ignore all the online payments down there. Awesome. Yeah, I would also add just from like a English side as well, English marketing, there are quite a few brands in and outside of China that have official accounts on WeChat. And they use these to send out news or updates to people that follow them. And it's sort of like separate than a friend, right? You can like follow lots of different official accounts. Some of them are news. So sometimes people subscribe to accounts to get push notifications of news or of updates from companies. The back end of this from marketing at a company side is a lot of it is in English. It's not all in English, but there's a good amount of it in English. So it is being sort of developed for an English speaking audience to use to market or to sell their products or to yeah, whatever official business you might need <laughs> on the back end. So I have seen a lot of English language stuff on there. And I think a big piece of that is that, like you said, May, everyone in China, including everyone that's traveled to China or that's an expat in China or that went to China and has friends in China and wants to keep up with them has WeChat. So there is a lot of English language stuff that goes on there. So I think if companies are looking to do English language marketing, that might be a good platform to pursue. Yeah, thank you for adding that. It's also very friendly to written content. Yes. Right, like the Wild China account, just simply called Wild China Journeys. So those are different from personal moments. These are the sort of official content channels. It's almost like a newsletter channel. Yeah. That people can subscribe to. And those don't have the 5,000 audience limit. Those you can just grow to your mega size if you are able to 1 million, 2 million. <laughs> and please, anyone listening to this podcast, subscribe to Wild China Journeys and you can hear about all these content there in a very timely basis. Yes, exactly. Well, you beat me to my next point, actually. So my next point was, how do people follow you and Wild China on the different channels? So on Little Red Book, search Zhang Mei in Chinese character. It's Gong Chang Zhang. And I think TikTok is Wild China May. Wild China, M E I. And then for Wild China, the English language media, you can find us on WeChat, as May mentioned, at Wild China Journeys. We're also on all the other international major social media platforms Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, YouTube, at Wild China Travel. And if you're interested in our Chinese marketing, you can find Wild China on Little Red Book and WeChat at Bishan Luxing. It's Bishan Luxing across board, everywhere, right? On WeChat, on Little Red Book, everywhere. So it's easy to find. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. I just want to say for anyone who's doubting the power of social media, I've been converted. <laughs> It does take quite a bit of work and I have no idea where it leads us to, but it's a new language that it's fun to learn to speak. Awesome. Thank you. Thanks, Kendra. Yeah. Cool. Thanks, May. All right. Chat soon. Thank you everyone for listening. Um, if you have any further questions, feel free to email us. We'd be happy to answer them. You can reach our general account at info at wildchina.com, or you can also direct message us on any social media platform and we'll respond to you there too. So thank you so much. Thanks, May. Thank you. Thank you. 
Thank you for joining us for this episode of the China Travel Podcast, produced by Wild China Travel and hosted by me, Wild China founder Zhang Mei. For every episode, you can find a summary with timestamps and a list of resources on our website, wildchina.com. If you enjoy this episode, we encourage you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on social media at Wild China Travel or me personally at Wild China May. That is M E I. Thank you and see you next time. <laughs>